On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont to trace the life of Jesus then and now. For this conversation, Mike, we're going to be talking about his rejection, Jesus being rejected, I think, by his own people. And we're in Nazareth, we're on the edge of Nazareth. We're at an interesting location, to say the least. Just briefly explain where we are, and then I think you might need to give us a bit of the backstory. <laughs> so we're to the south of Nazareth. We're about a mile and a half from where we've been previously at the Church of the Annunciation. So outside, right on the edges of the modern town, would definitely have been outside the small village in Jesus's time. And we're right at the edge of a craggy limestone cliff that to the south has the Jezreel Valley stretched out in front. To our left is Mount Tabor. Behind us, Nazareth and the hills of Lower Galilee. And we're perched literally right on the edge of this cliff that is a sheer drop down. So, David, please be careful and don't step back at this point. I mean, the view is amazing. You can see for miles and miles and miles, we've got Nazareth as a town, if not a city, of course, now to one side of us, uh, stretched out across the hills. The view is spectacular. We'll, we'll maybe find out why we're here in a second or two, but just, mm. just remind us in the life of Jesus where we've come from. Well, in a previous episode, we, we've talked about Jesus growing up and those hidden years in Nazareth. We've also seen that when it was time for him to begin his ministry, uh, God led him to be baptised at the River Jordan by John the Baptist and then being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness in Judea to be, to be tempted, to be tested, all of which we've looked at previously. And after that time of tempting and testing, when the devil's thrown everything he can at him to get Jesus to deny his calling or at least to fulfill his calling in a different way that he knew he was called to do, it's now time for him to begin his ministry. And to do that, he comes back home. He starts right on his home territory here in Nazareth. So what we're going to look at today is the very beginning of his public ministry. So he's with his own people, the people that knew him, people who'd grown up with him, and in what was then, of course, as you say, a much smaller place than it is today. Yeah, absolutely. The people who've you known him as Joseph's boy, <laughs> they've probably had tables and doors repaired by him and his dad. So he's one of the boys, one of the lads. He, he, Jesus would have, you know, played out in the streets with the other children of his age. So He's really well known. And that, of course, will be part of the problem is that they can't accept someone that they've known so well could be anything different than what they had always imagined. So where was the turning point? What was the turning point then, if you like? Well, it happened in, if I can put it this way, one of the routines of life. Uh, it was when he went to the synagogue one Sabbath and in fact, probably the easiest thing is if I read the story to you from uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. 
the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Perhaps I should just say before carrying on reading, you know, he was handed the scroll. This was the reading of the day. This is not Jesus choosing a verse that he would like to read. It was the scripture of the day. He was handed this scroll of Isaiah. It happened to be Isaiah 61 that day. So it's the reading for that Sabbath that he's reading to them here. And would it be fair to say that those who were hearing him were hearing him by the sound of it, referring to someone else, potentially. Yeah, they certainly didn't think it was him. He was Joseph's boy. He was, you know, he was a local builder. They knew very well who it was. And that's why what he goes on to say is so shocking to them. Because we read that he then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Why? Because it was the practice when you'd been invited to do the reading that day. You, you then did a little commentary on it, a little sermon. Well, he began by saying to them, Oh my goodness, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Isaiah had been prophesying the coming of the Lord's anointed Messiah. Every good Jew believed that that Messiah was going to come one day. And suddenly, here is Jesus reading it and saying, Today, that scripture is fulfilled. Implication, of course, in me. Well, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son they are? So they're still stuck in, you know, we know him. Yeah. You know, we, we've known him for years. And Jesus said to them, surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you've done in Capernaum. I'll tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, in other words, to a Gentile. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian, another Gentile. Here is God's care for Gentiles. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. In other words, they didn't mind Jesus being a Jesus for them. They were open to the possibility that he could be the anointed Messiah for them. But when Jesus dares to say, no, God's plan is far, far bigger than Israel, it's through Israel, but it's not just for Israel, it's for the world, including those you've despised as dirty Gentiles out there. And when they heard that, they were furious. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down from the cliff. We're on the brow of the hill. Is this a kind of location where that could have happened? Yeah, and I think it's good you said, is this the kind of location? It's very much the kind of location, though it's probably not it. It's a little bit too far from the centre of old Nazareth itself, and archaeologists have dug up and discovered 
that there are remains in the centre of the old town, but, but not any further. So it really was quite small, as we've said previously, a couple of hundred people. So the edge of the cliff was probably behind us on what is now built over. But this is a an incredible picture of what that edge of the cliff would have been like, not very far away from where we were at all. And as you've seen, David, I mean, this drop is huge. You know, if you fall down there, I'm not sure there's going to be a point as calling for the ambulance, really, because it is a sheer drop down there with rocks all over the place. So it would have been very, very much like this. This particular spot actually probably only dates back to crusader time when they were often looking for sites so we just have to be honest and say this is probably not the very spot but my goodness it's very close to it and it is very very like it and gives us an amazing insight into frankly you know how pretty scary it must have been you know jesus jesus was still fully a human being at that point and and to be taken by this crowd rushed outside and to be taken to the edge of the cliff and everyone is wanting to push you over well, can't have been pleasant, can it? No, to say the least. And I'm trying to sort of see how things escalated so quickly. He was in the synagogue with his own people, and they were merrily listening to the sermon. And then within minutes, it seems, you know, there's a lynch mob trying to throw him off a cliff. Yeah, but we see that again and again in life, don't we? You know, lynch mobs can rise up very, very quickly. And it only takes one or two people to turn and start shouting the right things and... And perhaps to start shouting, I have to use a bit of holy imagination here, but in light of what he said, probably things like blasphemy. He's saying that God is concerned for the Gentiles. And suddenly everyone would be enraged. And even those who were only mildly enraged suddenly become greatly enraged. And before you know it, yeah, you've got lynch mob, brilliant word for it. That's exactly what it was. The lynch mob has turned against him. Why? Because Jesus would not be the sort of Jesus that they wanted him to be. And so they came somewhere like here to throw him off the edge of the cliff. And is this called Mount Precipice? Is this known as Mount Precipice, which yes. is obviously rather appropriate? But I mean, again, that just underlines the fact that uh, of all the thing, of all the reactions there could have been, this is a well, I, I would say it's an overreaction. It was absolutely an overreaction because if only they looked in their own scriptures. I mean, even the two stories that Jesus told, he wasn't making them up. These were quotes from the history of their own prophets. God had shown in the Torah, in the books of the what we call the Old Testament, that God's heart was always through Israel for the nations. It didn't just stop with Israel. But of course, Israel's big problem in the Old Testament is that again and again, they want to forget that promise that God made to Abraham that he was going to use him to bless the whole nations. And they always wanted to keep it. To me, you know, sadly, church has been like that sometimes, hasn't it, in its history. It's wanted to keep God's blessing for itself and at most has said, come and join us. But really what God wants and what Jesus was showing from their own scriptures is that God's heart is for everyone and everyone out there who is not yet part of his people. I'm conscious there's a tourist group behind us, uh, tour guide is speaking yes. to them. I mean, a group of, what, 50 or more, maybe, yeah, uh, who've arrived on coaches. They've come to this spot. They're on virtually the cliff edge, looking out over the plain below, hundreds of feet below. Um, I'm just thinking back then to this Bible story. Jesus and the, and the mob, Jesus and the crowd, you know, he's outnumbered. <laughs> so, so 
what what is the outcome? <laughs> he's he's absolutely outnumbered, isn't he? And really, there's only one outcome, humanly speaking. They're going to push him off the edge. And yet, there's one last verse at the end of the story. The story ends with them taking him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. And then Luke adds, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I mean, imagine, holy imagination again. This mob pushing against you, pushing you towards the edge of the cliff. You're right there at the edge. And suddenly Jesus turns towards them. And something happens. The power of God somehow comes and he walks right through them. Does it say something about Jesus being comfortable in his own skin? (laughs) It does, doesn't it? Not in those words, but definitely in that spirit. It's like he trusted who he was. Do you remember what's just happened, we said before this story? He has been baptised in the River Jordan. And of course at the River Jordan, the voice from heaven confirming who he was. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Yeah, thinks the devil, but but is that so? Is he going to be your beloved son? Will he do what he want? And those 40 days of testing and tempting that he comes through. And he comes through it, yes, comfortable in his own skin. Not arrogant, but knowing his identity in God. Wow. What a message that is for us today, knowing who we are in Christ, being comfortable in that, not, not trying to be whatever we think we could be, but being who God has made us, fulfilling our destiny in him. Do you know, and when we're comfortable in our own skin, knowing who we are and what God has called us to be, we don't need to fear what comes against us, and Jesus didn't. God parted the crowd, and Jesus walked right through them. And he walked away, To leave this town, he will actually only ever come back here once, the gospel tell us, and even then he'll meet a very similar reaction to to this time. The fact that he's been rejected in his own town, with his own people, difficult to imagine, though, the pain that must have been associated with that. That's a good point. I mean, these are people you've lived with for, you know, 30 or so years. You've, as you've grown up, you've played with them. You've worked with them. You've done jobs on their houses. They've been in and out of your homes. That's what village life is like, isn't it? Mm. And to think that these people suddenly turned against him, must it must have been quite shocking at one level. I'm sure God had been preparing his heart for it, but humanly speaking, it's still shocking to find that People you thought could trust would turn against you. Do you know, as a pastor, I've heard stories like that again and again where people have been let down by people they thought they could trust. Of course, perhaps one of the biggest examples is in marriage, where a husband or a wife thought they could trust their spouse and suddenly finds they've been let down as they went off with someone else. You've been let down by someone at work, been let down by someone in the family or a friend. And it's incredibly painful. And I'm, sh- I'm sure there must have been pain in Jesus's heart. This, this was a town really he loved. You know, this was the first place he comes back to to preach, to, to let them know he's the anointed Messiah. It's his first call to, to share the good news with them and they, they don't want to hear. And it must have been incredibly painful indeed, as it can be for people today. Not the first time he was to be rejected and yet his understanding of being rejected 
must help people today who similarly feel rejected. There's a verse in the Bible that says, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. In other words, he really did experience the whole gamut of human life, the, the joys and the sadnesses, the excitement and the disappointment. And the book of Hebrews says it's because he has been through the whole of life that he is in a position now as our great high priest in heaven to be able to help us in those times, to be able to um, pray for us, to, to see us through those times. So I think when we are facing those times, it's... It's ever so encouraging to know that Jesus has gone through similar times. You know, he did not go through life. I've said before, he did not go through life in a cotton wool cocoon. He took all the hard knocks of life and yet learned how to trust God through them and to trust that God had a purpose through them. And you said, despite being rejected, in such a violent way, he did actually come back to Nazareth. But just the once. Yeah. In fact, we discover that in, in Mark chapter 6. So it might just be worth reading that story as well. Mark 6 begins, um, Jesus left there, so he's been around Galilee and around Capernaum, and went to his hometown, oh, here, Nazareth again, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. There he is again, every synagogue, that's where you could find him. And many who heard him were amazed. Interesting, isn't it? Still today, people can hear the teaching of Jesus and be amazed and think, wow, yeah, that's inspiring, that, that's interesting, and yet never take that step of doing something with it. And they said, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that is being given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this... Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. Two things, by the way, there. The fact they say Mary's son suggests that Joseph has died by this point or it would have been Joseph's son. Clear reference there to his brothers and sisters whom Mary bore after Jesus had been born. And they took offence at him, it says. In other words, <laughs> what did they take offence at? They took offence at this ordinary person this the carpenter's boy we know him we played with him you know we know his brothers and sisters how can someone ordinary like that do the sort of things that he's doing teach the sort of things that he's teaching and, and they took offense very easy to take offense isn't it even today not just with Jesus but with the preacher the pastor the vicar other people in the church or in the workplace why because they, they didn't quite line up with what we wanted or what we expected. And it goes on to say, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honour. And he couldn't do any miracles there. Oh, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I love that. You know, he couldn't really do any miracles. Well, just a few healings, that's all. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And that day he walks out of Nazareth and really will never return. A prophet without honour. What was he meaning by that? It's sort of slightly strange language. Yeah, a prophet, a prophet ought to get honour. You know, if a prophet is bringing 
a word from the Lord. Think of the Old Testament prophets. If they are speaking God's word in truth, and facts and history prove that to be true, my goodness, he ought to be honoured as a prophet. But here Jesus is saying, the trouble is, people can sometimes reject the message because they don't like the shape of the messenger or they don't like the package that it comes in. And a prophet ought to have honour, but he often doesn't get honour in the place where people think they know him, where they think they've... Listen, Jesus, we know the box you belong in. You're Joseph and Mary's boy. You're a great carpenter and builder. You know, you've been a great brother. Bless you for stepping in, looking after your family when your father died. And they had him in a box. And they couldn't make what they were seeing and hearing fit into that box and so he got no honour in his hometown because he didn't fit the box and the expectations that they had. How is that then connected to what you also read just after that where it almost sounds as if Jesus didn't have quite sufficient power it was almost sort of uh, depleted or something. Yeah it's interesting isn't it you know he couldn't do many miracles there except heal a few sick And it's like the atmosphere of faith was so missing that it made even the Son of God, it made it difficult for him to release God's power and presence. Now, you know, there are times in the Gospels when people get healed who don't really have much faith or any faith at all. There are times when faith is needed. So we can't say it's a this is that. Faith is always needed, but there is no doubt that an atmosphere of faith makes it possible for God to be able to do things because there is a spirit of expectation there. Do you know what? It's still the same today. Just take a simple example. In our churches on Sunday, how do we come to our meetings on Sunday? Whatever form or shape they take, are we just expecting to go through the same old thing again, perhaps read through the same prayers, same scriptures, even if we're from a tradition that's more informal, it still has its own structure in many ways. Do we come just expecting you know, more prayers, more songs, another sermon, or do we come with faith that today I'm going to this meeting, I am going to meet with God? And I'm sure when we come with that sense of I'm expecting to meet with God when I open my Bible today, when I go to the meeting today, when I go to my small group this week. It just opens a door for God to do far, far more. And, and what Jesus was finding here was that even as the Son of God, yeah, he still showed compassion and healed some, but the total lack of faith and acceptance and readiness to receive him just made it really hard for him to do what he knew God really wanted to do. So having been rejected in such a violent way previously, virtually being pushed off this mountain edge here yeah. that we're, we're sitting so close to, you can hear the wind whistling around us as yeah. well, just to give you an indication of, of what it's like. And then coming back, you know, being, dare I say, brave enough to come back and having got the response, the, dare I say, somewhat lukewarm response yeah. that he's got, I mean... I know, you could have given up at that point, but but, but where, where does he go next? It's interesting, isn't it, that he does come back. It's like, I love this about God. He's the God of the second chance. He comes back, he gives them a second chance. God's always ready to give us a second chance. But, you know, the point comes when he says, well, listen, if you don't want it, 
there are other places that I can go. And he's going to leave here and he will go back to his base where he relocates to Capernaum and much of his ministry will now happen in those towns around the Sea of Galilee. And it could have all happened here, but it doesn't because people just won't accept him. You know, they, they are not ready to receive Jesus in the package that he comes. They want a saviour of their own shape and their own making. And those closest to him here in Nazareth, his mother, his, his brothers and sisters that you've referenced, did they sort of follow him where, wherever he went? Or? Yeah. No, they didn't. I mean, it's interesting at first, if you read the Gospels, you find that his, uh, his, his own family, apart from his own mother, really didn't accept him at all at first. There's an occasion where um, he's teaching and healing and they come to rescue him because they think he's gone out of his mind and he must be mad with all the teaching he's, he's doing and they're, they're thinking he must even be possessed. And at that point, clearly they don't. But certainly by, certainly by post-resurrection, some of his family are there with the followers of Jesus. So there is a transition. But it's interesting, they... You know, maybe it's the same for them. Maybe it can be the same for us sometimes. You know, we've grown up with someone in our family. We see God's hand on them. We see God doing something and we dismiss it or we poo-poo it or we belittle it because it's, it's only John, it's only Mary. And there's a real danger in us missing what God might want to do because we can't see him doing it through that with which we are familiar and which we think we know all about but the thing is of course we never know what god knows we can't see god's plan and purpose for people we can't see the bigger picture like he does so we need to keep our hearts open because god might actually use anybody even our own brother and sister we hear a lot said about mental health nowadays and I'm just wanting to focus again on this sense of rejection that Jesus experienced and the fact that rejection in its various forms for many people today is a very, very real thing. Mm. And how is it that Jesus can come alongside somebody who is maybe not even expressing their thoughts? Yeah, rejection is a huge thing, isn't it? And frankly, social media in all its forms has made that only too easy you know people can plummet off a cliff like this just because metaphorically speaking just because they didn't get enough likes on facebook or instagram or snapchat and so the culture in which we live in the west today is is very governed by what people think of me and if if i don't get the reception i think i deserve it's easy to feel rejected hey let's face it sometimes people are rejected there can be real rejection so some rejection can be imagined some can be psychological, some is real. But I think what this story brings home to us as we sit here on the edge of this cliff, it brings home to us, listen, if anybody knew rejection, it was Jesus throughout his whole life, from the start of his ministry here where they want to throw him off a cliff to the end of his ministry where he experiences the ultimate rejection as they nail him to a cross. Jesus knows how you feel, I would say to people. Jesus knows how you feel, and because he's been through it himself, he is well able to help you through that time of rejection. Of course, you've got to bring it to him. You've got to be ready to ask him about it, and you've also got to be ready to leave it at his feet. Sometimes rejection can become a, a well-known, comfortable friend that we carry around with us, and we have to be ready to let it go. But here in this place reminds us that Jesus knew it, experienced it, 
And because he could press into his father, because he'd been so filled with the Holy Spirit, you're being rejected, go to God, pray, give it to God, ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit once again, ask him to wash that muck out of you so it doesn't colour your life. And believe that Jesus will walk through your circumstances and situation. And actually, there's only one person in life who it matters what thinks of you. And that's God. That's Jesus. And if you have his favour, then you have everything. And the flip side of that, going back to the story we've been focusing on, is how can anyone feel comfortable in their own skin? I think by, well, first of all, making sure that you've handed over your life to Jesus, inviting him in to be your Lord and Saviour, regularly bringing your life each day to him and saying, here I am, Lord, this is how you've made me, but I believe you want to change and shape me and I'm open to that today, but I'm not looking for great things and nor am I looking to hold me back. I want to go where you lead me today. Lead me, Jesus where you would take me. But you know, it has to be the real Jesus that we come to, not a Jesus of our imagination or liking. And that was the trouble with this place, of course. They did want a savior, they did want a Messiah, but not that sort of Messiah who would take the message to Gentiles. And it's still easy for us today to want a Jesus who we shape into what our culture says is acceptable what our culture says in, is the norm, what we would like, rather than our saying, Lord, here I am. As I submit to you and your word, whatever you want for me today, I'll walk with you into it. And you know, as we do, that's when we feel comfortable in our own skin, because we stop striving to be what we're not and release ourselves to start to become what he's calling us to be. Just pray about that, Mike, especially as I can hear voices around us, visitors, all ages, all backgrounds. We don't know their circumstances. Just pray for us. Lord Jesus, here on this cliff edge, surrounded by people from the nations, we remember that you came for people of every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And we pray for ourselves that we would never try to shape you to become what we want you to be but rather each day we would come and say Lord make me what you want me to be help me to receive your word and live by your spirit because I know as I do that's when I will be truly comfortable in this skin that you've given to me and we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mike Beaumont and David Taverner in the Holy Land, tracing the life of Jesus then and now. Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus then and now. And you can hear more 30 minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs or Bible surprises. Bible surprises.